don't look for a certain constellation of symptoms to indicate that you should be looking into your gut health, but rather look at this more of codifying the steps you're going to take to try to improve your health. Make step one your diet and lifestyle fundamentals, right? Get rid of processed food, shop for whole fresh foods, um, nothing processed, um, get adequate sleep, exercise, stress manage, right? And someone might do a paleo diet or Mediterranean diet, whatever, you know, whatever the diet is, as long as it's in the realm of a healthy diet, you know, start there and then reevaluate. If you still have symptoms, the next thing I would do would be go through a process to help optimize your gut health. What's up, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I'm your host, celebrity trainer and high-performance health coach, Ted Rice. This is a podcast for men and women who are looking to boost their energy and upgrade their health. So get ready to learn proven health, fitness, and mindset strategies to unlock your full potential. And I'm so excited to introduce today's guest for you. For example, are you interested in learning about gut health and the gut microbiome? It's such a hot topic right now. In fact, it's one of those topics that everybody seems to jump on and want to become an expert in. But as you sift through the information and the so-called experts, you'll find that a lot of them really aren't credible. They're just spouting off information that they got from someone else or just kind of making things up or extrapolating research from animal studies into things that you and I should do. And that's why I'm super excited to have Dr. Michael Ruscio on the show today. Not only is he the author of what I consider the best gut health book on the planet called Healthy Gut, Healthy You, but he's a guy who kind of comes from that functional medicine perspective. In other words, helping people to address their health and, and their health issues with natural means, but he does it from an evidence-based perspective. And that's what I try to do with my health and fitness. That's who I look to. That is my paradigm because the extremes, you'll find extremism. And the problem with that, my friends, is that they don't get results. The people who are getting results are guys like Dr. Michael Ruscio. And what you're about to hear is a conversation about gut health the myths, the facts, the things that you need to know. And also we get into a discussion about how you know who to learn from, because there's a lot of people out there talking a good game. They throw out some science-y sounding terms and people think, wow, this is someone who's super knowledgeable. I should be listening to them and buying their products. So we get into a, a, a great conversation about that. And I can't wait to have him back on the show to discuss things in more depth like the gut thyroid connection, for example. Before we get to the interview with Dr. Michael Ruscio, I wanna ask you, how much progress have you made in the past month with your health and fitness? How many pounds have you lost? And out of the, those pounds, how much of it was body fat and not muscle? And if you can't answer that question and you really want to get in shape and you're already running 100 miles an hour, going and trying different programs and trying to eat the right things, joining a bunch of different classes or hopping from workout to workout, but you're still not getting the results you want. What I want you to do is go to my free masterclass 
and watch that so that you get crystal clear on the most important principles that you need to follow, the secrets, if you will, so that you get consistent results better than what most people achieve in years. And you can find that out at legendarylightpodcast.com slash free. All right, let's get to the interview with Dr. Michael Ruscio on the facts and fiction of gut health. Dr. Michael Ruscio, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad we could coordinate schedules. Yeah. And uh, as I told you through our email correspondence, your book, Healthy Gut, Healthy You, is just one of the best books on health that I've read in the past several years. It's just, if you're listening right now, you need to get this book, especially because the gut microbiome, it's such a hot thing to talk about. If I'm a marketer in the health and fitness space, I want to be writing articles about that. I want to be doing podcasts about that. But the problem is, Michael, people give this BS advice and they just kind of pick from other people, uh, pick information from other people and use it. And you get this rehashed information of uh, these five things to improve your gut health, take probiotics. And you know what I mean? It's just right. ridiculous. So I'd love it if you, if we start out here by just busting some common myths that people have about the gut microbiome, especially in this sea of misinformation that we're, we're all swimming in. Sure. And firstly, thank you. It's really nice to hear that the three years I spent writing the book, you know, is, um, is helping people and is recognized. So thank you. It really means a lot to hear that. Um, and then regarding myths in, in gut health, you're right. There are a lot of them. And I think the reason why we see these myths or, or maybe myth is, is a bad word to be technical, but there, there's a, um, a total oversight of any kind of nuance where we can find a study showing just to use an example that a high fiber diet is good for those with, gas, bloating, and diarrhea. But it's not about what one study shows. It's about what the totality of the evidence shows. And that's the nuance that's overlooked, where you hear all different sorts of claims, and there's usually a degree of truth to all those claims. However, it doesn't help the consumer contextualize, okay, well, what should I do? Should I be high fiber, low fiber, low FODMAP, paleo, gluten-free, low sulfur, low oxalate, use probiotics, don't use probiotics, take antimicrobials. There's a sea of things that the consumer is confronted with. And as you pointed out, oftentimes the quote unquote information that someone is is being presented with, it may be well-intentioned, but oftentimes there's an underlying motive of of selling a supplement or a, or a book or a lab. And that's not always a bad thing. But again, the problem is, is that if, if the information is being used to sell you on doing something, then you oftentimes, again, don't get that nuance. You just get the data that supports, as one example, the probiotic that a company is trying to sell. And it is a problem. Yes. And, and there, there's a lot of confusion that is a byproduct of that. In terms of myths, there, there's a layer of, a, of uh, a few we could pick into, but starting, I guess, with the foundation, which is diet, there's what I would call a, a misrepresentation of the facts regarding fiber content in one's diet. 
and how important that is for health and how important that is for having a healthy gut. And the long story short is, is that you don't need to have a high fiber diet in order to be healthy. This is a whole, actually two chapters of the book, one specifically on dietary fiber and then another section just on supplemental fiber. But when you look at the evidence objectively, you see that there's no consistent health benefit from increasing your dietary fiber intake. So there's as many studies that show improved health as show no change in health at all. Now, it's not to say that you want to steer for a diet low in fiber per se because you're eating a bunch of processed foods and added sugar and things like that. No, that's not what I'm saying. But there are clearly a subset of people who have sensitive digestion who do better on a fiber-reduced diet and, and the most studied diet in this context, using some of this terminology loosely, is a low FODMAP diet, which by definition reduces prebiotics, which are compounds that are often in fibrous foods that feed bacteria in, in one's gut. And we can come back to that in a moment. But but the, the take-home is, is that some people will try to increase their fiber intake, eat more vegetables and eat more fruits and they will notice their digestion or maybe their joint pain or their sleep or their brain fog gets worse. And they go, ah, like, what is happening? I'm, I'm eating healthier foods and I'm feeling worse. And, and this is definitely a subset of people. And for these people, what oftentimes is helpful is using something like a low FODMAP diet, which reduces paradoxically healthy foods like asparagus, cauliflower, broccoli. And it's not to say that those foods are bad, but for some people at least in the short term, reducing the amount of those that they eat and opting for fruits and vegetables that are lower in FODMAP can be a very helpful maneuver to, to, to make. So that's, that's one regarding diet that can be helpful for people. Yeah, I'm so glad you're bringing this up about the nuances. In fact, that's what I would say about your book that I love so much is I've read books that just quote the research and I've read books that are just someone's personal experience or clinical experience. And you really mix both because you are a clinician, but you're very, uh, to, to, to use kind of a loaded term, evidence-based right? Uh, uh, clinician. And so, so you're well aware of the studies. In fact, you make the argument in your book that we, we should be making sure that we're, we're demanding randomized controlled trials with human beings, not relying on, well, this one study with these uh, lab rats said this happened. And so let's extrapolate that to human beings, especially my situation. And um, I, I love that about your book. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like that conversation can help people who are listening right now, navigate the, the information that's out there. Yes. Uh, and and there, there's a irritating backstory that accompanies this where um, I was at a, a, a pretty noteworthy health and fitness conference. And this is while I'm writing the book and, and I'm, I'm at the conference and I decided to pop in at a lecture and there's some, guru up there talking about their approach to gut health. 
And they're going on and on about how this special type of fiber helps to facilitate an anti-inflammatory mechanism in the gut, that mechanism for which has been shown to lead to weight loss. Oh, right. (laughs) And she's painting this very attractive picture. And as I'm sitting there, I'm I'm just fuming because what they're doing, and, and just like you said, they're citing either mechanism data, like this happened in the cell culture or this happened in rats. And they're leaving out the fact that this fiber has been given to humans in clinical trials and in obese subjects, the weight loss was between two to three pounds on average. So highly misleading when you take animal data, cell culture data, and then trying to make a recommendation based upon that. Now, Michael, was that a a medical doctor or PhD? Did they have an advanced degree of some sort? They did. They did have an advanced degree. And this is something I've been learning, which is people with advanced degrees are not protected against bias. We all have bias. And just because you have an advanced degree, you might be more aware of what bias is. But it's not uncommon for people to just slip into a bias in their realm and look at data that supports their hypothesis and ignore data or not not give the data that contradicts their hypothesis a long enough or a hard enough look. Um, And so this is what you see where, you know, if this person wants to sell a fiber, they're going to selectively reference things that support their position while leaving out, and this is the key point, leaving out more high quality data that contradicts their position. And this is the key thing, which is we should always be making our recommendations based upon the highest quality evidence because that holds us to a standard of, I can't BS you, right? Because what happens in human clinical trials, you, you can't really contort that to make it say what you want. You can find a rat study or a cell mechanism study and contort it to make it look like in this case, fiber is going to be this special fiber is going to be the next weight loss miracle but when you're a disciplined scientist and you cross-reference what happens when we test that hypothesis when we give a group of people this fiber we see that people who are 50 70 100 pounds overweight lose about two to three pounds which is nothing to write home about so that's why it's very important as you said to make sure that the recommendations that you're undergoing are ones that are based upon outcome data in humans. We took a bunch of humans, we did X, Y, or Z, and here's the outcome. And if we show a positive outcome in that setting, then that's something to consider building into the the recommendations that one makes part of their healthcare plan. Yeah. And uh, man, I'm just so excited to have you on the show today because just how you're talking and um, what you present in your book, besides the the, all the great information on the healthy, on having a healthy gut and how to personalize a plan to help you, you're, you're helping people think better and get to the information that they can actually use instead of like, like the person who are talking about, the guru on stage. And this conversation is so important. And I want to get back to gut health in a second, but I had a a listener who was uh, actually a coaching client for a while. And she, she was like, Ted, you're saying this thing, but I just listened to a medical doctor. And this had to do with the calories in, calories out hypothesis versus the insulin hypothesis for obesity. And she was saying, 
there's there was this doctor, a medical doctor on this other podcast saying that it's all about hormones and fat loss is about hormones and, and specifically carbs that raise insulin that store body fat. Uh, and, 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 um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where you stand, but, uh, you know, maybe there's some nuances with the gut that we can talk about in, in fat loss, but, uh, it's really clear with all the recent studies in particular that, oh, I forget the guy's name, Kevin Hart, I believe, uh, Kevin Hart, <laughs> totally <laughs> messing up his name, but the, the guy who did all these, these studies comparing low carb diets, who was actually, um, funded by, uh, Gary Tobbs organization found that, you know, the, the, so, so what I'm trying to get at was the, like you said, the totality of evidence that the biggest evidence that we have shows that the, the carbs don't make that much of a difference. The carbs, if you're cutting carbs or fat, it really is about the pro, the total calories and the protein and, and that type of thing. Um, can you follow up with that? And then can we talk about the relationship between weight loss and uh, gut health? Yes. I mean, it's a fantastic point. And I fully agree that you, you can't solely look at someone's credentials as a indicator of competence. So the argument from authority may have applied 50 years ago, even, even up to 20 years ago. But now in the information age, if you went to an Ivy League school, you don't have access really to more information than someone who did not go to an Ivy League school. Now, I do agree that credentials are suggestive, right? You, you have a better indication that someone who has some sort of clinical de degree, whether that's an MD or a DC or an ND or a PhD, they are going to probably have more knowledge in their area than someone who doesn't. So yes, that's partial. But as we discussed earlier, the, the problem is the human organism is a biased and imperfect organism. So even though some of their training may have taught them X, Y, or Z, people can still develop bias. And especially keep in mind that what you learn in a degree program is only a few years of concentrated knowledge of which is becoming obsolete the day you graduate because more information is surfacing. And so if you're talking about a clinician who's 10 years out, 20 years out, then what they learned in school 10 or 20 years ago has likely been highly modified. And so the person who is more in touch with the current state of the literature is going to have the best or the most accurate opinion, not the person who had the best degree. Although again, that is one thing to consider. It's you, you do see, and, and I do see conventionally trained medical doctors who in my opinion are way off the mark. And I also see some who are totally on the mark. So, you know, whether, what degree you have is, is not a complete assurance of competency. So you, you have to kind of look at their entire argument. And one of the things that can be helpful, if, if you don't know how to check study quality and things like that, something that can be helpful is looking at the demeanor and the tone in which they speak. If someone makes highly confident, highly assured, uh, you know, hard-driving, un- nuanced recommendations like low carb is clearly the best carb for metabolic health. There's no question about it. That's what all the evidence shows, 
right? When they start throwing out terms like all the evidence, clearly it's shown, that is an indication that someone is not familiar with the total body of the evidence. Because the more you know, the less you're able to make those broad sweeping statements because you understand all the data that contradicts that hard-nosed opinion that you want to make. So look for someone who's humble and, and cautious and you know, parsimonious with their recommendations, that will help. That's, that's one indicator you can look for in, in terms of someone who is not biased and going to potentially not intentionally, but mislead you. And regarding weight, the, there, there is a relationship between gut and metabolism and weight. And we're learning more about this especially as it pertains to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, there has been a correlation of high blood sugar, increased body weight, and high cholesterol in those with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. The treatment data has only documented thus far the ability to lower cholesterol and to lower blood sugar, unless there's been a study published in the past six months that I've missed. We haven't really shown, at least in a in a clinical trial or an interventional study that's been published, the ability to make a significant dent in weight by treating small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Although I have seen some case studies where treating either a, a bacterial overgrowth or a, or a like overgrowth in the gut does seem to produce fairly impressive weight loss, but it's, it's not going to happen in, in the majority of people. It'll happen in some people. Um, now, one of the things that also comes up is fiber and prebiotic supplementation for weight loss. And, and the whole theory here is people who are overweight don't have healthy bacteria. So if we feed the healthy bacteria with things like fiber and prebiotics, the healthy bacteria impact metabolism and then people lose weight. And that's, that's an attractive theory. And unfortunately, the data there are pretty much split, either supporting the mechanism that underlies that hypothesis to not supporting the mechanism that underlies a hypothesis. But when you look at, okay, we take people, we give them the treatment that the hypothesis is suggesting, and then what happens to their weight? Again, we see at most favorable, maybe three, maybe a scotch more 3.5 pounds of weight loss in either fiber intervention trials, this is supplemental fiber, or in trials with prebiotics. Now, prebiotics, which are compounds that feed bacteria in the gut, not to be confused with a probiotic, which is the actual bacteria itself, prebiotics have shown fairly impressive abilities to lower blood sugar, but they also do that with a fairly high incidence of adverse events, meaning they aggravate people's guts. So there is a connection between metabolism and the microbiota, but it's not as simple as unhealthy bacteria in your gut, feed them or imbalanced bacteria in your gut, feed them with fiber and prebiotics, and then therefore you will lose weight. In fact, when you look at a trend in the evidence, it looks like those who go on to a paleo or a lower carb type diet, which have been shown to have less fiber and prebiotics than something like a Mediterranean or a vegetarian diet. So those diets that feed your gut bacteria less actually tend to produce better weight loss. Now, the difference, the effect size between these different diets isn't huge. It's maybe two to four pounds when you go on something like a higher carb, lower fat diet. 
that diet being rich in fiber and prebiotics compared to a lower carb diet, that diet having a lesser degree of fiber and prebiotics, the difference between those two is only about two to four pounds of weight loss. So there is something there, but the degree to which it affects outcomes in the real world seems to be fairly minimal. Yeah, well stated. And I think it comes back to the just individuality, right? Someone who's training really hard, uh, maybe five, six days a week, a higher carb might, might be okay. And that person may not even be looking to lose that much weight if they're training that hard that frequently versus someone who's uh, pretty sedentary and, and trying to get their 10,000 steps in and uh, really just overdoing it with, with carb intake. So thanks for that nuance there. And uh, if, if we could, let's um, go into some, like, are there some functional, I guess, standards that we should, like, I, I guess what I'm asking here is, how do we know whether we have a, a gut issue or not, whether this is something that we should say, hey, um, you know, like, for example, if I'm focused on weight loss, maybe the gut, based on what you're saying, isn't going to be the big thing that changes that is a game changer for, for losing fat, losing weight. But there's other people who maybe are suffering from an autoimmune issue and they've read that there's a connection there or someone who's suffering from, um, you know, maybe skin conditions like psoriasis or eczema. Can you talk about like, how do we know if the gut is a place where we should look to solve some of our health issues? Sure, man, it's a great question. And, and I should mention, and, and I document this case study at the start of the book, that you can see pretty remarkable weight loss when fixing someone's gut health in some cases. But what I, want, what I want to be careful to do is not be like every other person on the internet saying this is a weight loss miracle. There right. are some, so my, my posit is to the degree to which your gut is unhealthy and you are either under or overweight, by fixing your gut health, you have that same degree chance of seeing improvement in your body composition. And I talk about Jen's case, who came in, actually referred to me from another doctor who said, this lady is so smart, I don't even know what I, I would do with her because she was already intermittent fasting, keto, exercise. I mean, she, she was very well educated, doing everything right. The only thing we changed in her case was treating her for a fairly stubborn fungal overgrowth in her gut. And she lost over the course of over a little over six months, she lost about 60 pounds. So there are some of these cases where it's like, wow, this is remarkable, but it's not going to be in every person. So I just want to make that. that and, and Michael, what do you attribute that to? Is that really the changes in the microbiome or is that she got healthier and maybe that brain fog or those cravings went away? Or what, what do you attribute those results to? That's a great question. Perhaps it, it, it impacted her satiation. Perhaps in part it impacted her thyroid hormone conversion from T4 to T3. So giving her a little bit more uh, of, a, of a metabolic boost because of that. Perhaps inflammation that was a byproduct of this was blunting hormone sensitive lipase, which is another mechanism toward fat loss. Perhaps her sleep was better or more restful. Uh, perhaps her insulin sensitivity was better. There, there's many things that could attribute to the the mechanism underlying that it, it's really hard to say what yeah no i love you know thanks for being straight about that and sometimes 
Um, you know, I'm a very results-oriented person, real-world results-oriented person. I know a lot of people in the, the quote-unquote evidence-based world, um, you know, it only matters like what, what the research says because everybody's so afraid to say something <laughs> to give their own opinion based on their own personal experience. But sometimes it's just the result that matters and how the mechanism, while it's nice to know, it's not as important as your client, Jen, or your patient, rather, losing, losing that weight and getting healthier. Right, right, exactly. And, and you know, it, it requires people who are going to be positioned in different parts of the spectrum. I'm looking at the data pouring in and always making sure that I'm on top of what the interventional data shows. But at the other end of the spectrum is a scientist who may be saying to himself, boy, this, this fiber has been shown to be anti-inflammatory. Perhaps this will help Crohn's patients. And then, you know, he, they, they start the whole investigative process. And eventually that leads to a clinical trial that I'm going to be looking for to see what the results are, whether or not I want to bring that in, into the clinic or not. So, you know, we're all holding hands and locking arms in this movement. It's just for a lay person wanting to know what they should do, you don't go to the bench scientist looking at a cell culture. And that's what happens sometimes. And that's, that's really unfortunate. Uh, and to come back to your, your other question, how does someone know if they need to improve their gut health? This is a key question because it is possible to have silent gut inflammation or a silent gut problem that's only manifesting extra intestinally or outside of the intestines. And I was actually the first case I came across of this where I had some major inflammatory issues in my gut, but I had no constipation, no abdominal pain, no bloating, no reflux, no, you know, no altered stools. But what I did have was fatigue, insomnia, and brain fog. And you do see this. This is being reported in the research literature where people can have problems in the gut that only affects their skin or their brain with anxiety, depression, or brain fog or fatigue or cause things like, again, transient joint pain um, being another or even a thyroid imbalance. So what I would offer people is don't look for a certain constellation of symptoms to indicate that you should be looking into your gut health, but rather look at this more of codifying the steps you're going to take to try to improve your health. Make step one, your diet and lifestyle fundamentals, right? Get rid of processed food, shop for whole fresh foods, um, nothing processed, um, get adequate sleep, exercise, stress manage, right? And someone might do a paleo diet or a Mediterranean diet, what, you know, whatever the diet is, as long as it's in the realm of a healthy diet, you know, start there and then reevaluate. If you still have symptoms, the next thing I would do would be go through a process to help optimize your gut health. Because yes, it could be thyroid, it could be female hormone, it could be Lyme, it could be biotoxins, it could be heavy metal toxicity, it could be adrenal fatigue, it could be EMF exposure, it could be mitochondrial dysfunction, it could be all these things. But I think you have the highest probability to see the improvements that you're looking to see if you next make the intervention optimizing your gut health. It's not a guarantee. It's not a panacea. But if we're going to if we're gonna put these in a hierarchy to give you the highest return treatments first, I would say gut health would be the first thing after your diet and lifestyle foundations. Yeah. Uh, so well put. And uh, 
you said that, you know, addressing your gut health, it's not necessarily a miracle for weight loss, although some people get amazing results, but it's something that everybody should consider if they're experiencing some, some of these symptoms and, or experiencing symptoms rather, and they're trying the basics and it's not getting better. And uh, Michael, there, there's something that I think is really important that you bring up in your book. You talk about how having a, a cesarean section pregnancy or, or birth, giving birth through cesarean section versus natural uh, can influence the gut health of the baby. And that carries on through life, um, antibiotic use and living in an environment like your your average American who's got the antibacterial soap and they have they either have someone come in and clean their house with like all this uh, bacteria killing all these bacteria killing products or do it themselves and what's really interesting is I'm in Chiang Mai Thailand right now as I told you before we started recording and the I had a, a friend of mine Josh Trent who hosts uh, the Wellness Force podcast. Oh, I know Josh. Uh, good guy. Yeah, yeah, good friend of mine. And uh, I, I thought you had probably been on his show before. So he was here and he was just struck. Uh, it was his first time to this part of the world. He was just totally struck by what he called like the lack of um, you know food care, right? The lack of uh, food safety handling. But I'll tell you, Michael, I've been sick more times in Miami Beach eating at nice restaurants than I've been in Thailand. And um, at first it was a little bit difficult, but as my gut adapted, there were some strange changes. And part of it's just due to the fact that they just put a ton of chili pepper in everything here, right? <laughs> and it's just crazy with the chili pepper here. But my gut changed and I, I started reading about this I, and I got into your book and I was um, struck by like some of the instances where I read about a guy who went to Africa and lived with the Hadza tribe. And in the course of a week, I think it was, his gut microbiome, they measured it before and after and it changed dramatically. And you talk about this in your book. It's not just about what we eat, but what we're breathing in. And I, I'm just wondering, like, it, from reading your book, I got this impression like, can you, how healthy can you even be if you're living in where most people in the Western world live in an urbanized area? So there's not a lot of green, there's not a lot of dirt. Uh, there's, um, you know, they use the antibacterial wipes everywhere and everybody's just constantly cleaning their hands because that's how you help avoid the flu and colds. And what can someone, what can you tell us about the lifestyle that most of us live, our gut health and what we can do to change it? Or, or you know, I'm, I'm a bit confused there. I hope that was pretty clear what, it, what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah your, your question is clear. It's, uh, it's the answer that's a little bit convoluted. Um, and gosh, where to wade into this? So yes, we, we do know, and it's been fairly impressively documented that people living near blue zones or green zones, oceans or forests have lower all-cause mortality, meaning they have less death from any cause. And this is likely because there's something very therapeutic and very healthy about living near and spending time in nature. And it's important to, to note that 
these studies have isolated for the exercise effect, meaning it's the people who are going out in nature and or uh, the ocean and they're surfing or swimming or hiking or biking or jogging, and that's why they have healthier outcomes. When controlling for that, the, the relationship remains. So that tells us that there is something therapeutic about nature. There's something known as phytocyanides that are a compound released by plants that appear to lower blood pressure. Walking in nature has been shown to decrease, or I'm sorry, to increase senses of subjective well-being and increase vigor and decrease scores of fatigue, anxiety, and depression. So there is something therapeutic about nature, and that may also extend into bacterial components. Other research has shown, for example, children with a higher diversity of naturally occurring plant life around their home, so living in, in an area with more naturally diverse plant life, have more diverse bacteria on their skin, and they have less atopic disorders, meaning you know rashes, lesions, and other kind of skin sensitivities and, and, and breakouts. Early in life is an important time to intervene, meaning the first three to four years of a child's life seems to be when a, a good majority of their microbiota forms or, or the the colony of bacteria in their gut. And that has a long-term impact, not only on, on their gut microbiota and that gut colony, but also on their immune system. And so what we see in some of the research literature is things like not breastfeeding, because that's one way of transferring bacteria from the mom's breast milk to the child, being cesarean birth, because then you miss the inoculation of bacteria that the, that the child gets when passing through the mother's vaginal canal and living more so in rural settings that, or let me consolidate that first to the cesarean birth and the not breastfeeding that may increase the risk for inflammatory disorders later in life. And then we also see that kids growing up and living on farms compared to urban areas, the farm children seem to be protected from many inflammatory and immune-mediated disorders. And this is quite simply because the immune system is an imperfect system. It requires practice to function effectively. So if you don't have the practice of being exposed to bacteria, being exposed to animals, being exposed to dirt, then the imperfect immune system can't get closer to perfection because it does not have the practice it needs to get there. But, uh, or, or so I should say that there are simple things that we can do as, as parents to try to bring our children up in more natural environments that do not you know, shroud them in cleanliness and allow them some exposure to, to dirt and bacteria. Um, and, and there are also things that we can do as adults if you were not breastfed or you were cesarean birth. There are absolutely things that you can do to improve your gut health. And the analogy I use here is if you... If you had a really bad ankle sprain in college, let's say, you may periodically have to do some stretching or some rehab to keep your ankle from getting sore. That wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Same thing if you were cesarean birth and not breastfed, you may have to periodically use some probiotics or do a, a period on a low FODMAP diet, just as two examples, to help keep things balanced in your gut. So there are things that we can do preventatively for the young generations or the coming generations. And then there are things that we can do for people who may already have a, a bit of a skewed gut environment to allow those people to absolutely function just as well as anybody else.
Oh, well, <laughs> very good news then. Because after reading that, it's like, I, I know we have a mutual friend, Dr. Ben House, who moved to Costa Rica and lives out there in the jungle. It's like, do we all have to be like him to achieve, you know, optimal health? If, because for a lot of us, that isn't really, although I'm kind of thinking maybe I'm going to be ending up in actually Costa Rica myself, but uh, that's not an option for a lot of us. So it's it's good to know. However, You've got to be making sure, and this is for people listening right now, for the listeners, you've got to be making sure that you're getting the right information. And I, Michael, man, I turned down a lot of people to get on this show, not because uh, for any other reason other than I just don't want any bad information on here. I think enough people are just spreading this information. And, and there's a lot of people that I've had on in the past and talking about you know, hormones is the magic to weight loss. And, and now I just, you know, see like, Hey, you know, it's an important part, but you really have to get dialed into the, the foundation, the principles behind how, you know, a certain, um, say weight loss works or, or how gut health works. You can't just pop probiotics and, and, or, you know, follow some general recommendation and expect, the results that you want, you've got to get the nuanced uh, version so that you can apply it to yourself. And that's what you do in, in your, your book, Healthy Gut, Healthy You, which if you're listening right now, just get this book. And it's called Healthy Gut, Healthy You by Dr. Michael Ruscio. You can get it on Amazon. If you click on the show notes for this episode, it'll be listed there as well. And if you want to see more of Dr. Michael Ruscio. If you want to hear his podcast or read some of what he's got going on, go to drruscio.com. That's D-R-R-U-S-C-I-O.com. And he's someone that you should be following. So ditch your guru who is talking about the uh, cell cultures and um, rat studies and uh, follow someone who's going to give you actionable advice, something that you're, it's going to have the nuances explained to you so that you can apply it and get results. Because at the end of the day, it, it's really a popularity contest out there. And like you said earlier, with the people who are expressing extremely confident views, those are the people who probably know the least, but also, or, or at least, you know, they're, not sharing the other part of what they know or, or their, have their confirmation bias. But those are the people who get the most traction in, in terms of popularity because I love, or, or I love, I, it seems that human beings in general, we love it when someone stands up and they're just so confident about what they believe and we can get behind that. But the truth is, like you mentioned earlier, the more knowledgeable we are, the more careful we are about giving general recommendations or using some uh, a mice study or, or some cell culture study to make some sweeping recommendation that, that, that people should follow. So thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for this great book that you've made. I know we're coming up on our time and, and you're a very busy guy and, and uh, you have to leave, but is there some other place where you'd like people to go? Yeah, you know, just really quick, as you're saying that story uh, about the, the nuance and the popularity, I, I remember reading it in, in some in some website that that's kind of about messaging and marketing. 
there was a fork in the road and each fork had a label and one said simple, but incorrect. And the other fork said nuanced, but correct. And there was about a thousand people going down the simple, but incorrect fork and like three people going down the nuanced, but correct fork. So yeah, there, there's something about human nature that people just are looking for the magic quick fix it thing. But if you put in a little bit more effort to get past what would be a super simple, flashy concept to slow down and, and go through a process to take into consideration the nuances of your system, then the returns that you can get for that are remarkable. And, and that's been one of the really nice things about seeing patients who've seen five doctors, even some patients who've seen a few functional medicine doctors and still not seen the results that they'd like to see. They go through the Healthy Gut Healthy You protocol and they finally unlock their health and are feeling good. So I would say, you know, if you're, if you're in need of, of help and this message resonates, take the time to, to go through the protocol because I think it will really help you. Um, and, and, you know, thank you so much for having me on. It's always great to be able to share this with, with new audiences and, um, the best place to track me down is just drrusha.com, like you said, and I welcome anyone there to, to drop in and, and check out what we're doing. Excellent. And Michael, thanks so much for your time. I know this is going to be the first of many because you mentioned some things like the EMFs and some of the other things. I'd love to get you back on to discuss those things. So, so thanks so much. Uh, thanks for putting out this incredible information. Thanks for doing the work, the hard work to, to discover those nuances and apply them in, in your practice. It's, you know, everyone's benefiting as a, re a result. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks again. It's been great being here. That wraps up another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. And I really hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Michael Ruscio. I mean, he is a brilliant, brilliant guy. And in no small part, because he's sat there and done his work, he's done his due diligence to learn these things and to apply them in a clinical setting to get his patients results. And I'm really psyched to have people like this on the show because we're going after the truth here. And while other people are going after guests who have a bigger name, I don't need to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to go after the people who are after the truth, who are seeking the truth, not seeking tribalism or seeking to jump into some, you know, talk about a hot topic so that they can make more sales. I can't stand that. And I want to tell you why. I've been down those roads. I actually was a very holistic slash alternative health person when I first got into the fitness industry 20 years ago. And then I wasn't getting results. I followed, I was eating all organic and doing all sorts of crazy things. And it wasn't giving me results. It wasn't until I started taking that information that I learned from um, studying holistic health from a few different well-known gurus and then started learning science, learning evidence-based strategies and really looking into what the research says about how we should go about getting in the best shape possible or achieving optimal health. Did I start achieving the results with myself and with my clients? 
And that's what's gotten me to this point now. And I'm definitely not turning back, I'll tell you what. And while I don't think we need to have research for everything, I mean, sometimes we're just gonna have to go on experience. But when someone directly contradicts the evidence out there, or even worse, misinterprets the, the evidence, the science, I mean, I, I, I have no interest in talking to that person, at least, um, you know, not in a way where I'm not gonna be calling them on what I feel is their inconsistencies. So. I want you to check out Dr. Michael Ruscio, check out his podcast, check out his book, Healthy Gut, Healthy You. It's a book that you should read. If you're a reader, if you're into reading books about health and fitness, this is a no-brainer. It's one of the best books that I've read in years. And let me tell you, that's a strong statement coming from me because I pay a lot of attention to all the information out there. And most of it is just simply underwhelming. Either it's too evidence-based, meaning that all they do is talk about studies, but it doesn't seem like they have any real experience in applying the scientific knowledge, or there are just people who are all experienced and just kind of make this stuff up and, and speak like uh, what they do is gospel, but without understanding like, well, hey, what situation does this work in? What situation does this not work in? So definitely check out everything by Dr. Michael Ruscio, but especially if you're interested in books on health, Healthy Gut, Healthy You, it's just simply, again, one of the best books that I've read in years about health in general. And it focuses on gut health, but you learn so much more than that in that book. Just amazing. And if you're trying to get your health and fitness handled in weight loss slash fat loss, and improving your body composition, getting pooned, lean, muscular, and you want results like my clients, like Sarah, like, um, like Nish, like Kevin, like Rich, like Tim, <laughs> like all the people who've come on and shared their stories and all the people who you'll end up hearing in, in the very uh, near future, then what I want you to do is go watch my masterclass at legendarylightpodcast.com slash free. And you can learn exactly the steps that I use with my high ticket, high paying coaching clients to achieve the results that they do. No sense in going to the gym and jumping from nutrition program to trying the keto, to trying the intermittent fasting, then using intermittent fasting and keto. Doesn't need to be that complicated. None of my clients do that, or they don't need to do it. And they get great results. It's just about knowing the principles, knowing the secrets, if you will, the quote unquote secrets, and taking action on them. And I share all of that in my masterclass. So go to legendarylifepodcast.com slash free and watch it now for free. It's all for you for free. All right. That's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I got so much more coming this year. This year is going to be such an exciting, exciting year of transformation for Legendary Life, an exciting year of growth for Legendary Life. And I'm just really, really pumped about what's in store. So I'm going to leave things there. Hope you have an amazing week and I'll speak to you soon.